Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. It's our fourth and final week in our Influence series as we have looked at the beginning few chapters of Deuteronomy, and we will be in chapter one this morning. I'm going to read verses five through eight. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb. You have stayed at this mountain long enough. Resume your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and, and their neighbors in the Arabah, the hill country, the Judean foothills, the Negev, and the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon. <laughs> Lebanon. We say Lebanon. <laughs> as far as the great river, the Euphrates River. Verse 8. See. I have set the land before you. Enter and take possession of the land. The Lord swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their future descendants. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. The book of Deuteronomy, it's... It's a series of addresses that Moses gives to the Israelites specifically. It's given to them, as we see here in this text, right outside of of Canaan, the the land that had been promised to them many, many years before, promised to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And Moses takes time to recall some of the greatest events from the past 40 years. And he asks people to remember He asks folks to remember how God has faithfully led them through the wilderness. He asks them to remember in remembering this faithfulness for that remembering to render obedience, obedience to God. But as we've talked about or I've tried to lay before us over the last three weeks, not not obedience in order to get God's love. Obedience because God loves Because God has proven God's love and and continues to prove it. And then as we looked at last week, Moses takes time to go over the Ten Commandments again with them. Calling particularly special attention to the first one. That the Israelites would have no other God or gods beside God. No other gods before me. God said, no other gods in my presence. So recall from three weeks ago, as we looked at the Shema in Deuteronomy six, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength. The the Lord is one. And then Moses reminds them of all the various laws, six hundred and 
613 of them. I said 642 last week for some reason. That wasn't the right number, 613. But they did add to those laws over time, which God didn't want them to do. That's in Deuteronomy 4, but that's another sermon. But these laws were to govern Israel's life in the promised land, leading to the promised land, yes, but particularly once they entered into the land promised them so that they could, as we talked about last week, live in the land well, live well in the land together, but not only together amongst themselves, not only together with each other. The meaning of God's covenant with Israel in the first place as God's chosen people, as God's treasured possession was for them to show the rest of the world what God is like, particularly the most poor, broken and downtrodden. Israel was quite specifically set apart, set apart as God's treasured possession to be a blessing. They were blessed to be a blessing. Look back at verses 5 and 6. Across the Jordan in the land of Moab, what does Moses do? He began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at, at Horeb or Sinai, same thing. What did God say? Well, God said, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. Now, Verse 5 has just indicated that Moses, other translations say, expounded upon his teaching, explains his teaching, essentially explaining how the Israelites, as we said, can live well together in the land and be a blessing to the rest of the world. And then he reminds them of their time at Mount Sinai, having stayed at the mountain for about a year, God prodded them to get going. You have stayed at this mountain long enough. Now, Some of you may notice pretty obvious preacher move right here when the text says something like this. So I'll just go ahead and do it anyway. Hey, church, is it time for us to get going? Is it time for you to get going? Are you dragging your feet? Am I? with something that you know God has called you to specifically? Is there something with your family that you are not quite getting into? Maybe it's an uncomfortable thing, a conversation that needs to be had. Maybe it's simply just leading well in the home. Is there a circumstance with a friend or a a group of friends that you are neglecting because it might be hard, a conversation that needs to be had there? Is there a phone call that you just can't quite make? I know you millennials only text, but you can also call people. That was mean. That was mean. Millennials get all the, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I think I'm actually a millennial, technically. I think they back the years up. But my point is, we used to drag the dial and call people. And you can still do that. Is there a grudge that you are holding? Because Christians don't hold grudges, not for a second. Have you developed habits during the pandemic that, well, you'd rather move on from? They're, they're, still, they're still there. Have you stayed at the mountain 
long enough. It's time to move on. It's time to move forward. Now, there are definitely times to pause. The Israelites, they were at the mountain for a year, and it wasn't just tarrying there. They were learning to worship, I believe. There was a, there was a point to being there some 40 years earlier before they set off into their journey through the wilderness. There is time to, to pause for sure. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about our propensity to live in a frantic way. And we don't want that. So pausing, pausing to, you know, welcome patience, as we talked about, and presence into our life is important. There are seasons of pause for sure. But we must ultimately move forward. Think about how we talk about life with God. We talk about following and being formed by Jesus. We talk about there's, there's no particular place, folks, that you're, you're supposed to be on this journey. We, we never want to hold one another to, well, I don't want to say it like that. There, there is accountability in our lives and, and in our groups. And as we grow together, there, there should be Iron sharpening iron within the Christian community, for sure. Pushing one another along. But the closer our relationships are, the, the, the more readily we will be able to hear those words well, right? Admonishment from a friend is, is love. But we do talk about there's nowhere we're supposed to be specifically other than farther along. And we may go backwards some, we do. We fall, prone to wander but we're supposed to be farther along, moving forward. Have you heard that hymn, Farther Along? Farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine, we'll understand it all by and by. Farther along, there's so much to learn, and we can't move forward without one another. So, formation it happens in the doing. It happens in the living. It, it, it happens in the, in the moving forward. It happens in your groups, in your Bible studies. It happens in your meals together. It happens in your everyday conversation. It happens in just keeping your chin up and recognizing the opportunities that God brings your way each and every day farther along. There really are. And we teach our kids this, and it's hard to stick with because I get so frustrated and sometimes just downright ridiculous in how I handle, how I react to circumstances. But there are no bad circumstances in a life with God. Everything can build. And, and there are some horrible things that happen just this week in our fellowship. But, but God is there, present, always, helping us move farther along. Because Moses told him, you've stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to get going. 
And, and I don't want to wade into, into waters that, I mean, I never want to wade into waters that are going to cause people to get mad and leave. Although that's happened some. But as I studied this this week and I thought about, well, what is one area where I continually feel like we're just not moving along? And it's, it's really in, our, in the way that we get along with one another, kind of in the overall church. Christians realizing who else is a Christian in the world and, and how our conversation with one another and then with the outside world just doesn't represent us and Christ very well at all at times. I, I ran across some stats this week. In 2016, that was six years ago, for you mathematicians, sorry, 30% of Democrats believed Republicans were immoral, completely immoral. 40% of Republicans believed Democrats were completely immoral. This year, 2022, this is from Pew Research, reputable research firm. 60% of Democrats believe Republicans to be completely immoral. And 70% of Republicans believe Democrats to be completely immoral. Now, regardless of where we fall on that scale of thinking our sister and brother is immoral, we need to understand that our churches are made up of all kinds, particularly as we extrapolate that out through the entire world. We have to understand that our churches are made up of people who see issues, particularly political issues, from many different angles. And our politics are to be debated. I enjoy that in a kind manner. And they're to be debated fiercely and passionately, perhaps, but never without love. You see, our virtues are more important than our stance on political issues. They just are. And we have become too prone to get that backwards. We've been there long enough. We have stayed at that mountain too long. Verse 8. See, I have set the land before you. Enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their future descendants. It's us. I learned this week, these words have legal force. I can imagine my father-in-law, my favorite father-in-law. Just kidding. That's what I say when I meet people. He's my only father-in-law. He's a lawyer. And he writes things like, by these words, I hereby confer to you in his briefs. And that, that fits this. What God is, is saying here through Moses. Enter and take possession of the land. God's people, go and take your inheritance. Go and receive God's promises. It's exciting. It's legal language. It's, it's, it's to be followed or else. Go get it. Now, as you can imagine, uh, those of you who don't know our little family, we have a lot of children for, and we have a lot of shoes in our house. Uh, a lot of hand-me-downs, a lot of, you know, a lot of new shoes, um, just shoes everywhere. And I think Leslie Ann would tell you, I think she would, she would tell you that I pretty much drive her nuts with my shoe antics. But call me crazy, 
I tend to think that school shoes should be worn to school and, you know, work shoes to work. And then, you know, play shoes should be worn outside in the mud and yard shoes for that matter. I recall several years ago, we had just bought some new Nikes at the Nike outlet in Foley, Alabama. Maybe you've been there. And Leslie Ann got some new running shoes. I probably sadly remember exactly how much they cost, and I need to pray about that (laughs) and move on. But her shoes were very pink, like my pants, and they, they were sharp. And we went... You know, she, she, she wanted to wear them immediately. And so we went for a run at the state park and, and Gulf Shores and, and there are wonderful bike trails and miles of bike trails in there. We took off running. And on this particular day, there was a pop-up thunderstorm. I mean, and so here we are huddled under the most dense tree we could find. Deluge, just pouring, cloud to ground lightning all around us. I should be worried about that. Only thing I could think about, she is wearing her new shoes. <laughs> Pray for me. It's rubbing off on our children. My genius plan to have these old school shoes be, you know, play shoes and new school shoes be, you know, school shoes. Well, that doesn't fly very far when mom's out weeding the garden in her new shoes. But I'm here to confess to you, church, that I have been wrong. It is far worse to have shoes and not wear them than to get a little mud on your new pair. Thank you for indulging my story that marginally fits in with the text. But I do want to try to connect it. Let me remind us of the context here on a journey that has taken the Israelites 39 years, I think, at this point, if I'm doing the math right. Look back at verse 2 in Deuteronomy 1. It's an 11-day journey from Horeb to Kadesh Marnia by way of Mount Seir. And my teachers have told me that might sum up how long it should have taken them. Now, we can surmise that it shouldn't have taken 40 years because the landmass of the area they were wandering in is not that big. So maybe it's more than 11 days, but it's certainly not 40 years. The area was vast. We can deduce from this that they were dragging, they were sputtering, a lot of wandering. What did they need to do? They needed to get on with it. They needed to put those new shoes on, so to speak. Somebody needed to give the Israelites a kick. They needed to claim their inheritance. Now, I do want to remind you and me Uh, You know, a couple weeks ago, we tried hard to make a case for great patience, great presence in our lives with God and and one another. So take your inheritance uh, and me saying that emphatically. I'm, I'm in no way implying haste, not at all, not haste, but boldness, confidence, um, lacking any reticence at all. And it occurs to me that an 11 day journey stretching out to 40 years is the epitome of reticence. Put the new shoes on 
You've stayed at the mountain long enough. Enter and take possession of the land. Go and get your inheritance. Go and receive God's promises. Eleven days, y'all, became nearly 40 years. They're out there fooling around, eating grilled cheese when there was a seven-course meal waiting on them. To live with faith instead of fear, church. To anticipate God's better promises. To, to get on with it because there is nothing that can happen to us that leaves us outside of God's kingdom looking in. That is what taking your inheritance looks like. So we must quit dilly-dallying. Take it. What does it look like specifically? Well, it looks like what Oksana led us in in, in our call to worship today. It looks like gathering for worship, for one, which I am so grateful more and more of us are doing each week. And I, I pray you will continue to, to make the gathering of our body here a priority. When you're here in Nashville, not on vacation, not out of town for work, that you will gather with your church. Whether it be your small group, whenever it meets, or in this corporate worship gathering on Sunday morning. And it looks like us serving together. Many of you have served in our food pantry. We had, I think, our most people we've ever had visit, which is exciting and sad, two days ago. But it looks like serving together. We had approximately 70 volunteers here Friday morning, about half of which were not part of our fellowship here. They were guests that had come in and wanted to serve. And then we had a great group of y'all to come and serve. You should come help next time or two times from now. I promise you will be blessed by it. Or, or how else could you serve your community through your church here and bring some of us along with you? What is God calling you to do? Because I'm, I'm telling you, we've stayed at this mountain long enough. Enter church and take possession of the land. Go and get your inheritance. Go and receive God's promises. I'd like to remind you of uh, a story that I've told you before about an uh, area of Georgia, Fannin County, Georgia, where years ago the ministers in the area would take turns being the hospital chaplain for the week. And the pastor, Fred Craddock, was among the uh, ministers in the area, so he recalls a time when it was his turn and there happened that week to be a baby born. Not many babies were born in this little 30-bed hospital, so it was, a, it was a particularly exciting time. And when Fred went by the hospital about 9 a.m., there was a large crowd right outside. You know how it goes, right outside the window, looking in at the baby. There was only one in there, and the baby was just lying there. Everybody trying to get a peek. So Fred walked up and he asked. He said, is it a girl or is it a, is it a boy? It's a girl. Well, what's her name? What's well, Elizabeth? Well, is the, is the father in the group? I'd like to meet the, the father. And they said no. But Fred looked over his shoulder and back across the, the way, leaning against the wall in the hallway, was a, was a young man. And he, he said, I'm the father. And Fred said, is the baby's name Elizabeth? He said, yeah. Fred said, beautiful baby. 
beautiful baby. You couldn't hear her through the glass, but you could tell she was riled up. Man, she was fussing. Her face was was beet red. Do y'all say that? Beet red? And Fred thought maybe the father was was concerned. It was their their first child. So, so Fred said, man, she's not sick. She's, she's doing just what she's supposed to do. Babies scream like that. It's good for them. It clears out their, their airways. It gets their, gets their voices going. It's, it's all right. And the father spoke up quickly and said, I know she's all right. But she's mad as you know what. Why is she mad, Fred asked. He said, well, wouldn't you be mad? One minute you're with God and the next minute you're in Georgia. Fred thought, man, this is a mountain mystic, Gnostic we've got here. He's been reading Plato. Fred said, you think, you think Elizabeth was with God before she came here? He said, oh, yeah. Then Fred said, well, do you think she'll remember? Father said, well, that's up to her mother and me. That's up to the church. We have to see that she remembers. I really would like to take time every week, and maybe I should, to say, take your inheritance. But it gets so wrapped up in the prosperity gospel that some of you may be familiar with or even have been compelled to, to hear from time to time that I, I probably shy away from it more than I should. But church, take your inheritance. And make sure everybody else does as well. God is calling you specifically to not tarry, to not spin your wheels in the wilderness, but to move forward, to trust, to be farther along. And we all depend on it. From each other. I'm going to put a picture of the wilderness. At least that's what Google told me it was. Up on the screen. We're going to take just a moment to pray. This might be a pretty right brain thing to do, but you can handle it. Just imagine yourself there. What is God stirring in you? Think to yourself, what might you need to move on from today? Why have you been there long enough? Maybe somebody wandered in here this morning that needed to see JP give that testimony in the water. Maybe you've yet to be baptized. There's not much water in the wilderness. We'll find some. Do you need to trust your life with Jesus today?
He's calling your name. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe you haven't thought about the Lord very much lately. And you've been at that mountain long enough. It's time to move forward. 